Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, you guys. Once again, this episode brought to you by our friends at Noon Hydration. Noonlife.com. N-U-U-N. L-I-F-E dot com. Excellent hydration products and all kinds of wonderful stuff that can get you going, get you, keep you going all throughout these summer months. I don't know if it's hot where you are, but it is damn hot where I am. And I've been sucking down those things probably two to three a day. Delicious. And there are cocktail recipes for that after ride experience, right? Also, thanks to our friends over at Honey Stinger. Honey Stinger is back helping us out with the podcast. I just got a box of those brilliant waffles. You know what I'm talking about, the Honey Stinger Belgian waffles. Little guys, all kinds of wonderful flavors. I got a variety pack, and they're going to be gone very, very quickly. Also got some great energy chews, which I have not tried yet, but I will let you know. And I also got some protein bars, protein bars from Honey Stinger that I have not tried yet, and I will let you know how those are. But hopefully... Great stuff. Great friends over from Honey Stinger. Thanks for being a part of the show. Lastly, got a supporter, got a fan of the show over at Fit for Hope. Get Fit for Hope. Fitforhope.com is their website. You can find out what they're all about. You can actually sign up to become an ambassador for the organization. What basically is it? It is a support group, encourages you to get out there, get active, and get involved. Also for incredibly great causes. I just signed up myself. It was that quickly. I am a lazy guy, and I signed up myself. I think I put in name, my email address, and I clicked out on a couple charities that I think would be great to support and hopefully get me out there, get that motivation to get out there and get fit and get some events under my belt. Speaking of which, I do need some events. Somebody let me know what I should train for. Thanks to all of our, our friends, Noon Life, Honey Stinger, and Fit for Hope. Let's do the Pack Filler Podcast.
welcome to the podcast that thinks 23 days in July is way better than your March Madnesses, your World Serieses, and your Super Bowls combined. That's right. This is the Packville Podcast. Pat Bulger here. Hi, everybody. Ah, oh, don't you love it? It's July. It's hot. The summer is here, and the tour is underway. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing, beautiful thing. Stage six just finished today. I'm not going to provide any spoilers because I am not an a-hole. That's right. Anybody who's posting spoilers on the internet, I know you're thinking to yourself, well, get up early and watch the stage. You know what? Don't be a douche. If it, Let's say, for example, Peter Sagan won today's stage. I'm not. That wasn't a spoiler, okay? Let's say Peter Sagan won today's stage. You don't have to type on your social media page, congratulations to Peter Sagan. He's not going to read your Twitter handle with your 53 followers. Quit doing it. Quit posting that crap. And also, quit comparing soccer to cycling. If I see one more post of somebody out there saying, oh my God, Neymar's rolling around while cyclists are really tough. Look at this guy. He's got a you know broken elbow and a shoulder, and he's still getting up, and the f- soccer players are rolling all around the ground. Give me a break, you guys. Footballers or soccer players are doing it to draw a foul, to gain an advantage. Cyclists, if they were to roll around on the ground, the ref would just look at them, and the official would just look at them and say, fine, we're driving up the road. See you later. Don't compare those anymore, and don't post spoilers on the Internet. That just came out of me. Sorry, I just had to vent on that one. Ugh. Hey, you guys, thanks for all your deep concerns and a lot of cruel, cruel jokes that I still laughed at about my recent eye trauma, my visit to the optometrist, my attempt at putting little pieces of the most annoying plastic in the world in my eyes in the form of contact lenses. I don't know if I'm going to make it, you guys. It takes me, the first time it took me at least 90 minutes to get him in. And then yesterday I put him in, and I think one was in backwards all day because my eye just felt really weird. Somebody recommend out there a pair of really good cycling glasses that that don't make me look like I'm an aging idiot with a bifocal in there. I just want to be able to read my Garmin. My distance vision is fine. Sorry. Let me know. Let me know what you found out there. Email me. Please. Or just make fun of me again, which is fine. I'm cool with that. You guys, we got a great guest on the podcast today. If you are a subscriber to the VeloCast or This Week in Cycling or anything like that, um, you would definitely know the man who's on the show today. Killian Kelly, um, by the way, the Irish dialect is one of the coolest ones in the world. I just feel like a mouth-breathing idiot when I'm talking to people from other countries just because I just think I don't sound good and they sound cool because, you know, they're from a faraway land. <laughs> uh, Killian is a, a just a, a wealth of cycling knowledge, and it was fun to to hear him uh, reflect and 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 tell us about some of the things that are that are very important to the sport that have happened in the sport and where the sport is going. So, you guys, without further ado, I know you like it when I'm short on my intro. You know, I like you know I know you like it when I'm not ranting or complaining about my life. Killian Kelly on the Packfiller Podcast. Right, everybody, you know his words, you know his voice, 
writer, cycling stats expert, and half of the Velocast. Uh, let's welcome to the show uh, Killian Kelly. How are you, sir? Very good, Pat. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Um, because I know especially we're dealing with time differences, and I always have such an incredibly difficult time for some reason trying to figure out all that stuff, but uh, <laughs> we finally made it happen. So, um, so hey, let's get this out of the way. Here we are uh, five stages into the tour, and uh, things are, you know, moving along pretty swimmingly what do your t- what do you have any take or this year's thought on what's been going on so far with the 2018 tour de france um i suppose it's still very early days it's been um or there have been a few things that have happened regarding the the overall battle and i think it's kind of stacked up in a way that suits the the neutral fan that just wants to see a tight race. I was kind of fearful whenever I see a team time trial so early on the route that uh, af- in the aftermath of a team time trial, you get, say, Team Sky or BMC or whoever it might be really stacked towards the top of the GC and that kind of colours the rest of the race. Um, and that really didn't happen primarily because of the crash that happened on day one when Froome lost time and Richie Port lost time. And, you know, those are the two guys that you kind of would have expected to take time in the team time trial, which they did. But at that point, they were playing catch up. So it's kind of it accordioned one way and now it's accordioned back. And it's still very tight. And even the margins in the team time trial itself were very, very small, um, even though it was, you know, it was over a considerable distance. I think it was 37 or 38 kilometers. Um, so, you know, it, it's still still very, very tight on the GC, which is always good, I think, to, to maintain that as long as possible, really, for the race. And uh, all, all the while, Peter Sagan and Fernando Gaviria have been gone at it, which has been fantastic. Actually, it's a, it's been a little bit um, uh, kind of one-on-one yeah. re- regarding the sprints. I was kind of expecting a little bit more of a battle royale. The names of the sprinters that are there are uh, are vast. Like, there's the, everybody yeah. is there. And uh, they just don't seem... No, nobody seems to be on the same, quite on the same level as... Sagan and Gaviria. Greipel almost got there a couple of days ago. Cavendish has been terrible. Uh, Dylan Grunewagen, who won the stage on the Champs-Élysées last year, um, hasn't quite maybe lived up to the the uh, the expectations. But, uh, you know, it's all early days. People are still feeling it out. And, uh, you know, it, it's still shaping up to be a great race. No GC riders have, have been completely... Um, you know, no, nobody has abandoned yet from crashes or anything like that. So, you know, as it's as nicely poised now as it was at the start of the race. So, yeah, I, I'm, I've been quite entertained so far. There's a couple of the things you mentioned along the way. First of all, I had Marcel Kittle on my fantasies team that you put together mm. through the app. And I'm, I know I'm in deep trouble there because I haven't, you know, I, I think one of the early sprints, he came from about 11 guys back just flying but since then it's just either been bad luck or bad terrain or something like that and then of course i'm just happy that richie port is still upright at this point in time so yeah it's all it's always a um a theme of richie port's grand tour efforts and it's already hit hit him a little bit in in this year's race where he he was taken down in that crash on stage one and and he lost time thankfully not too much but it always seems to affect Richie Port every grand tour he he rides he's uh he's one of the favorites one of the really top top favorites and it just never seems to happen for him and some something goes wrong for him and uh it's great to see him back after that awful crash that he was in last year um and uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I just I, I just hope that the outcome of the race is decided by via racing rather than 
you know, mishaps and crashes and that type of thing, because it's never nice to see. So, yeah, great to see Port still there. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, so you seem to have a pretty darn wealth of cycling knowledge. Uh, you must have been up either, uh, you've either been cramming books over the last several years or you've been doing this for a while. What brought you into the sport of cycling and got you involved at this? I kind of have, have had two phases of cycling as part of my life. The it's it started really because my my dad was into the sport and he he got into it uh, the same way I'd say most Irish cycling fans got into it um, back in those days, which was because Sean Kelly and Stephen Roach were <laughs> winning everything in the nineteen eighties, and it, it you know they 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 were our biggest sporting heroes in those days and they were all over the national media and national newspapers and um, my dad really got into it at that point so um, he he started just watching what he could i mean there was nothing like that there is now you know you don't you don't get the the saturated level of footage that we get now and and, and race coverage but you know he he watched what he could and and uh then i started getting interested when i was old enough and and the the first tour de france i really remember was 1992 but the first one i really got into really properly focused on and watched properly was 1993 it was the following year that was in miguel indurain yeah. uh, and tony rominger were were uh, going head to head and it was indurain's third tour win and uh i i i just i loved it i just started what i couldn't get enough of it after that my, my dad used to also uh, record on vhs tapes the the <laughs> half an hour highlights packages highlights package after every stage so we'd end up with two or three vhs tapes full of all these half hour chunks for the stages <laughs> so for the rest of the year i'd watch it the tour de france 1993 and then the following year tour de france 1994 so by the time the next year came around like i had literally watched the previous year's race you know 50 times i'd say and <laughs> and uh i i just I, I just watched it on repeat because there was nothing else you know there was no youtube there was no nothing yeah. um so uh, i i kind of lapped it up for for a few years in that fashion and then uh you know college drink women <laughs> I, I i kind of I, I actually i started playing a lot of football as well soccer okay as you guys call it uh, and uh kind of lost a bit of interest and and uh I, you know my, my dad would have still been watching it but because i lost a bit of interest he lost a bit of interest and and uh we were never quite into it in the same way for a number of years it just happened to coincide with the lance armstrong years nothing to do with any sort of moral standpoint that we took <laughs> even even in the early days of Armstrong it was nothing like that it was it just happened to coincide with these these years in my life where I was doing other things but then what actually what, what dragged me back into it um I sound like Al Pacino but what what, <laughs> what um, got me back into they it in. eventually was um I was on holidays in Thailand um on one of the islands uh, in, in Thailand and I had run out of books and I went, there was like a, a little local bookshop where I was and, um, you know, there was books in, in Thai, but there was books in all kinds of languages caving for all kinds of tourists. And there was a few things in English, but the, the one thing that, that stood out to me was actually, um, it was an issue of Pro Cycling Magazine and it happened to have Lance Armstrong on the front. Now he'd been retired three years at that point. They were doing, and he hadn't announced his comeback yet either. It was just kind of a I, just a catch up with Lance. What are you yeah. doing now in retirement, kind of thing? But I thought, oh, Lance Armstrong, yeah, I, you know, recognize him, recognize that. I'll buy it. And uh, I must have read that cover to cover four or five times because it was the only thing I had. <laughs> and uh, it just, and as it happened, the Tour de France was on at the at the time. It was in the middle of it. It was about a week and a half into. It was about halfway through the 2008 Tour, which was the one where um, 
Cadel Evans was really kind of expected yeah. to win, but he was ganged up on by Team CSC with Carlos Sastre, who eventually won it, and the Schleck brothers. And uh, I, I just, I, I would spend maybe an hour a day paying for the internet in the little coins in the slot on, on the resort that I was staying in in Thailand, looking up, you know, who was Cadel Evans? I'd never heard of him. And just learning um, in Thailand while I was on holidays. And then when I got back, I, uh, it just, I don't know, I just got bitten by the bug again and I couldn't get enough of it. And I, I started, I started, I actually started buying mag- old magazines on eBay, um, kind of as a burst of nostalgia. I, I ended up with loads of magazines from the nineties where, where I would have known who was who and what was what, and just kind of catching up from, from way back then in the nineties. And then, but then expanding into more recent magazines. And then I just, I started buying books and it's just every book I could get my hands on on eBay I just my 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 wife was she as she still is now just can't believe just the flood of literature that's coming through the door still even now um that that keeps coming I, I keep the postman in the job that's for sure but I I just um yeah I just couldn't get enough I just kept reading about it and reading about it and and there's such a rich history um for you know for such a straightforward sport where all it is is just guys yeah. on bikes and whoever gets to the finish line first wins yeah. it sounds quite simple but the the history behind everything and the politics and the the you know in and out, we, the tour weaving in and out of world war one and world war two and just the, the the social context of cycling in 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 all of its countries that it's touched over the the, the last hundred years it's just there's so much depth to it and I'm still learning, you know, I wouldn't ever pretend to think that I'm an expert on, on any part of it, really. I, I, I know a lot about, uh, I, I know a little about a lot of things, <laughs> but um, there's just there's just so much to it that I don't think you could ever get, get to the bottom of all of it. It's fascinating. So when did, when did writing, uh, your, your bio on your blog says you started writing as an escape from your day job. So how did this this passion about reading about it turn into writing and then eventually becoming a, a you know a podcaster and, t- and putting a microphone in front of your face yeah so uh 2008 when i started getting back into it that coincided with um i was in the middle of doing a phd at the time and I, it was uh it was a grind it was hard <laughs> and uh, i was i was really um uh, i i would find any excuse to uh, procrastinate and avoid doing what I was supposed to be doing. And so that that took the form of, uh, I, I just started a blog. Everybody seemed to be doing it at that time. Um, and I, I started my own one. I, I, I don't know where I came up with the name, irishpeloton.com. I kind of regret it, actually. I don't even know if I like it anymore. <laughs> it's uh, it's my Twitter name. It's the name of my website. But I, trust it just, me, trust me just, I know what you're speaking about. I know firsthand <laughs> what you're talking about. Yeah, you just you make these snap decisions and then you're stuck yeah. with them. And yeah, yeah. so yeah, I, I came up with that name and I started. I know I, I started writing just about I don't know n- nothing really, nothing and everything. It just what came <laughs> into my head. It was supposed to be about uh, you know writing about the Irish writers that were in the in the bunch at that time. Uh, who, who are actually all still there, really? Uh, Nicholas Roach, Dan Martin, yeah. and Philip Dignan. They were all kind of at the start of their careers back then, and they're all kind of coming to the end now. Um, but yeah, I just started writing about that, but not only them, just things that took my fancy. And I, I did find myself, um, getting a, a better reaction when I would s- somehow or, or so, some way come up with 
a strange statistic or a strange fact, you know, so-and-so is the first writer to do this since blah, 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 in 19, whatever it yeah. was. And if I, if I managed to find quite an interesting thing and base a blog around that, something that you couldn't Google or just type into Wikipedia and find, you know, something that maybe took 20 minutes or half an hour to figure out, yeah. um, that I, I got a better reaction. And that was just kind of the, 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 the shape that the blog took. And I did find myself getting interested in these things. I think I always have had kind of a fascination with, with strange, uh, just quirky stats. Like I do remember um, really enjoying the idea that in the 1994 Tour de France, that uh, that was one that went to Britain, which it didn't, which it, it rarely does. It yeah. had only been to Britain once before that, about 20 years before. And it was back and there was only two British riders in the race and both of them ended up wearing the yellow jersey. That was Chris Boardman Gordon, and Sean Yates. Yeah. And I just thought that was brilliant. And uh, those are the types of things that I kind of end up finding or looking for. And, and uh, that's what I ended up doing. I ended up writing about that for a while and uh, gained a small reputation for whatever it was worth, a few hundred followers on Twitter. And, uh, you know, it just started growing from there. And then it, it was kind of a, um, it's just a bit of a serendipitous thing that I ended up um, working with the Velocast. I, I, I had been a listener. It wasn't a subscription model back then. You know, you, it was just free to air on, on iTunes and, um, there, there certainly wasn't as many cycling podcasts back then as there is now. No. Uh, everybody seems to be doing it. She's like during the Tour de France, there's just there's so many daily Tour de France podcasts. I don't, if oh, you right. sat down and tried to listen to all of them, I really don't think you'd have time to do it in between the stages. But back then there was, there wasn't that many. And uh, so I found it and I was listening to it and I would enjoy it. And um, I would tweet them from time to time and, and uh, you know, get, get a response every now and again and think I was great when I did. And I was, I was, uh, I was very enthusiastic and green and, and, uh, you know, I, um, I, well, sorry, what happened was, was, uh, I listened to a podcast and John Galloway said he trotted out a fact that I, kn I knew people used to say regularly, or it was written in books regularly and magazines. And it was just wrong. And that is that Bernardino, rode Paris-Roubaix once in 1981 and won it and decided never to ride it again. And that, that like still, there are recent books that have been written that still have that fact in it. And it's, it's not right. Like Bernardino, <laughs> I, I actually, I'm ashamed to say I don't have the right fact to hand now, but I think he say. wrote it six times. And I don't know where the stat came from that he only wrote it once. I, I remember talking to Richard Moore about this, actually, because he, he he put this in his book, Slaying the Badger, all about the 1986 Tour of France with Bernardino's yeah. uh, battle with Greg LeMond. And uh, he put it in his book and I pointed it out to him. And he reckons it was actually Bernard Eno himself who said <laughs> it and, and was either joking or was just misremembering his own career at the time. And uh, that that's where it came from, which is kind of fair enough. <laughs> if you're hearing it straight from the horse's mouth, yeah. um, who are you to argue with Bernardino? And I wouldn't want to argue with Bernardino. But <laughs> that I, I pointed this out to John when he got it wrong. And uh, I ended up just having a private conversation with him. And it just kind of sparked from there. I, I, honestly, I couldn't tell you now. I can't remember whether it was him that suggested it or me that suggested it to him that I do a kind of a history snippet on their weekly show the same weekly show that they still do now where they discuss all the events it used to just be a little one minute or maybe it was like a three minute thing uh, slotted into the main show where i would just blather on about something and there wasn't the usual chat with myself and john now that you get on the this week in cycling history podcast it yeah. was just a little 
interlude in the main show and it just grew from there that was that was about six years ago i think yeah so let's let's talk about irish cycling for a little bit here you can't talk about the history of cycling in in ireland without obviously bringing up stephen roche and sean kelly um so i gotta ask you right out of the gates do you have a favorite between the two of them yeah i i I prefer sean kelly okay and i think if you asked any irish person I think most of them would say the same thing. Um, you know, again, going back to when I was younger in the 1990s, you know, I, the Tour de France was everything. Yeah. And you couldn't really see any other race on telly. And there wasn't really coverage of any other race in the national newspapers. So the fact that Stephen Roach had won the Tour, I just assumed back then and, and assumed for years that Roach was the best of the, out of the pair of them um, because he had won the Tour and Sean Kelly hadn't. But in actual fact... Sean Kelly was was a much better cyclist. Now, he never won the Tour de France. He didn't win the Giro or the Worlds, the three races that Roach won in 1987. But he basically won everything else. Yeah. And he was the, the best cyclist in the world. I think five years in a row, he was ranked world number one. And uh, I didn't realize that until a lot later. But that's I suppose that's still not, not answering the question about who's your favorite. I mean, you can still have Stephen Roach as your favorite, even though he didn't win as much as Kelly. But I, I do think their their personalities. Um, uh, I, I Kelly's much more Irish, I think, and <laughs> Ro- Ro- Roach suffers from the same syndrome that Froome suffers from now. In that Froome is British, you know that's the that's the flag that 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 you see next to his name on the race results. But he's not really. No. You know, he was born and raised in in Africa, and he he's British. He's got a British passport, but he doesn't, the British public have never really taken to him and he doesn't really, it's very hard to, I I think, for British fans to identify with him and to, to, you know, to to drag him close and hold him to their bosom isn't as easy as it is for, you know, British people who have been born and raised in Britain. And Roach was born and raised in Ireland. That's, you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting he wasn't, but, you know, halfway through his career, he 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 lived in France. He married a French woman. He started to get a French accent even when he was speaking English, and he just even and then when he retired, he he stayed living in France, and I think that just moved him away from the centre of Irish people's affections, uh, in in a way that that it didn't for Sean Kelly. He he's you know he's as Irish as it gets. He's made he's he's chiselled from peat bog and <laughs> eats potatoes for breakfast lunch and dinner you know he's he's proper irish and uh maybe these are stupid reasons to to prefer one over the other but i i just I, just even their personality roach is kind of cocky and arrogant and and uh thinks a lot of himself and is never willing to admit that he's wrong still and that comes across in in modern day interviews with him whereas you know kelly has this kind of self-deprecating humor and does seem to be quite a humble man and i i just think he's easier to like and i i do think that most irish people if they thought about it and knew enough about it would, would give you the, a very similar answer, answer to that question i do have to say I've, I've had the opportunity to talk to sean on this show and um i grew up in the days where there were pictures of sean on my wall that i cut out of winning was the magazine or velo news yeah. the magazines over here and uh getting the opportunity to speak to him i i don't know today i mean i have to go back and listen to the interview i don't know how it actually went because i think i was too freaking out the entire time just going <laughs> Legit, Sean Kelly's on the other line of the smoke, you know. But he was very, very, you know, polite and very cool about the entire thing. I, I almost felt like that Chris Farley character on Saturday Night Live. You know, remember when you did that? 
That was cool. And that basically is what I think the entire interview sounded like. Um, so continuing on, though, with that, we've got you know, a, a limited amount of, of Irish riders in the, in the current pro peloton. You can't obviously say without saying uh, Dan Martin, Nicholas Roche, and, and those types of riders. But um, what, what do you think of their current prospects, and especially in terms of uh, Dan Martin trying to you know, bring something into one of the Grand Tours? Yeah, um, it's, uh, yeah. so th- those writers, as I said, are kind of getting on a bit. Um, yeah. Roach's, N- Nicholas Roach's career has kind of petered out a little bit. He's realized that he's not strong enough to be a leader anymore, and he's a domestique now, and he, he never really uh, gets an opportunity to write for himself. Uh, Dan Martin is uh, he's an erratic type of writer, but he's very exciting. And uh, he, he's kind of, for the first time, I guess, He's coming to the Tour de France with a team behind him and, well, ostensibly they're yeah. behind him going for GC. I don't re- they seem on paper maybe a little bit more of a mishmash of, of riders. But, uh, you know, this this is the goal that, that he's set himself and he's he's going for the win, I guess, for the Tour. I don't, I don't think that's really realistic, but I think the podium is possible. But he, he's kind of handicapped now already a- after the team time trial. He was one of the worst... Um, GC riders after the, all, all was said and done after that, he, he lost a minute and a half, I think. So he's playing catch up already. Um, so I, I think he'll struggle to make the podium at this stage. Uh, I, I don't know, does, does stage racing suit him really or three week racing? I think he's much more exciting in the one day races. You know, he's won the Tour of Lombardy and Liège, Bastogne Liège, and he's come close to winning both on other occasions as well. And I, I think he's, he's just a rider that's much more suited to one day races, but it will be exciting to follow him over the next three weeks. He's always great to watch when, when he's in the thick of it. He never, he's not one of these guys that just rides on wheels until the finish line. He'll always try something, but there, there are other Irish riders to get excited about. You know, there's a, there's a relatively young Irish sprinter called Sam Bennett, who, um, who comes from the same town, Carrick on shore in, in, in Ireland as yeah. Sean Kelly does. And, um, he, he won three stages of the Giro d'Italia recently. And, uh, he he's, you know, he, he looks like he'll he'll go on and and repeat the feat and and maybe hopefully win a couple of Tour de France stages in the future. Although he, he's riding for Peter Sagan's team, so I don't think he'll be riding the Tour de France while Peter Sagan is on that team. But so I I think he'll have to leave eventually. But he he's really good. There's another rider called Eddie Dunbar who has been knocking on the door for years. Actually, I remember seeing him. When you see these guys in the flesh, it, it really makes you like kind of step back and go, geez, like if you, you kind of don't appreciate how good these guys are when all you're doing is watching them on television. Eddie Dunbar, I think he's still only 22. Maybe he's only 21. He's riding for Aqua Blue Sport, who are like okay. a, you know, a, yeah. a pro continental level team. And uh, he, he's not in the Tour de France yet, but he, he's been riding pretty good. I think he rode Liège Bastogne Liège recently, actually. Um, so he's knocking on the door of, of these, these big races. But uh, I remember him, it must have been nearly five years ago. So he was only... He's only 17 or 18. And it was just a local race around where I, li- I live in, in County Cork in a town called Cove, which I don't know if that rings a bell for, for any listeners. It was the last port to call for the Titanic before it sank. That's what it's famous <laughs> for. Um, so I, there was just this this race around the island. And um, I was I was st- stood at the side of the road. You know, it, it was laps. There was laps of maybe eight, eight kilometers long or something like that. And there was, you know, 12 or 13 laps of, of this course. And uh, it, it was like he was taking part in a different sport. He was just off on his own from from the gun. And he didn't quite lap the field, but he almost did. 
and you know everybody else was huffing and puffing behind and trying to trying to forge clear of the bunch and getting caught and you know catching back up whereas all the while Dunbar was just out front breathing through his nose you know absolutely just he, he might as well have been out on a training ride the, the race might as well not have been happening around him and uh, he won it by I don't know 10 minutes or whatever it was and uh, I remember thinking then and you know even then there was talk about him that he was you know he was going to be he was going to make it and uh, and he has really and but uh, maybe not quite to the top level yet but the, so between Sam Bennett and Eddie Dunbar and Dan Martin there's plenty to be excited about we're never going to have a, a massive crop of riders coming out of, of a of a country where cycling isn't really a top sport as such um but yeah pl- plenty to plenty to sink our teeth into still absolutely so this has always been a kind of the elephant in the room, especially recently with the current turn of events that have been happening with, you know, here we are in the midst of the tour. Uh, Chris Froome's not participation and then suddenly allowing participation. Do you have any opinions on, on what you think all went down with that? And do you, what are your thoughts, if you want to say, on why he is, that he is allowed to race anyway? Yeah, I, I think, um, oh, I think it's been really unfortunate again for the sport of cycling. Um, uh, so I suppose there's two aspects to this. There's on one hand, you know, there's the whole discussion about whether you think Froome is doping or not and whether you think he got away with something. And on, on that note, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know. Like I, I know there's, there's all these, uh, really uh, staunch anti-doping advocates, I guess yeah. is what they would call themselves on Twitter. Uh, I would have another f- word for them. Yeah, no, but absolutely. They, yeah, I, they're just unrelent- unrelenting in, in their uh, just castigation of Team Sky and Froome. And I can kind of understand their frustrations, but they go too far, I think, a lot of the time. But I, I, I haven't really seen any sort of suggestion as to what... They're doing. What are they taking? What 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 drugs do they think they're do they're doing? Because um, you know they, they've made no secret of the fact, Team Sky, and they've been kind of caught to to an extent pushing the limits of the rules right up until the line, as they always talk about. And I've no doubt that that's what that they are doing that. And any drug that is not banned, I I would imagine they are either taking or have considered taking, and. You know, I think there, there is an argument to be made that that's their job. That's their professional responsibility to push themselves as hard as they can and to do whatever it takes within the rules to do that. And the way just Brailsford's, uh, his, his, his rhetoric around that subject just leads you to believe that that's definitely what they're doing. They, they, they will take anything that they can get away with taking. Now, whether that does step over that line, um, I mean, there's there's kind of there's 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 kind of circumstantial and uh, maybe circumstantial is the is the wrong word. There's a large body of small pieces of evidence that would suggest maybe there's something nefarious going on. Like there's all these stories of you know testosterone patches arrived up at British cycling headquarters, and oh, you know that that was a mistake. We didn't order that, and and these kinds of <laughs> things. And a lot a lot of that, you know, adds up to build a picture of a team that you could easily believe are doing something nefarious. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. But at the same time, uh, the things that they have gotten caught for are really not that nefarious and you know the, the i suppose that brings brings it on to the second point so par- parking that whether you think Froome is is doing something illegal or not um i i, I don't know uh, i i don't know i'd like to think he isn't i, I i'm reluctant to always an- analyze performances and suggest that somebody's doping just purely based on a performance but if that's that's what you're into of course you're going to look at chris Froome and think oh he's on something but then you know that's true of any amazing athletic performance and uh i i just i can't really go there in my mind i can't i just it's it's not it's not a happy place to just sit there with your arms folded thinking you know this is bullshit what are we watching here you know and 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 to not be capable of getting excited about what you're watching so i don't really allow myself to wander into that into that area of of doubt now that's not to say i can't be critical or cynical or analytical in my thoughts about it i am and i do have doubts and i express them um you know on the velocast and i i write less and less in the blog these days but every now and again i i do write i actually write sometimes for a website called stickybottle.com which is a an irish cycling website and uh you know i've been i've been quite critical of of team sky on that website to a point where i don't really think the team sky communications team really like talking to me anymore i've had prickly um prickly exchanges with their <laughs> with their staff over the years um you know so i i i don't i don't think <laughs> i'd like to think you couldn't uh, point the finger at me to say I'm, I'm soft on these issues i don't think i am but then okay so there's that there's that side of things whether you think Froome is doing something or not but then there's the whole other side about how it was handled and uh i just it's another just bullet to the body of cycling as a sport you know i I don't know about you but i i'm really kind of tired of people coming up to me and work and you know family members going oh killian's into cycling so is Froome doping or 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 not you know what's Froome taking and it just gets really tired i you know i i'm you know i'd much rather talk about what just happened in the tour de france or or what or the stuff i've just been mentioning to you about eddie dunbar and dan martin you know there's much more interesting things to talk about whether whether chris Froome is doping or not but that's that's not to say that they're they're not interesting in and of themselves. They they can be quite interesting these plot lines. But it's it, it's just unfortunate that it took so long. I I do think that that was a choreographed effort by Team Sky. I remember tweeting at the time actually back in December that I that I thought that Team Sky would do this that they would drag it out as long as possible, and that the the kind of the trump cards that from that from Froome that Froome <laughs> has to play is that. 
by the weird quirk of rules, uh, there's no time limit to the to the the time his his lawyers have to prepare a case. So they can do this as long as they want. And his trump card is that he wasn't provisionally banned. So he could ride these races and and potentially bring them into disrepute by the the danger of him being of 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 him winning and being stripped of the result. All the while race organizers are kind of tapping their feet, thinking, you know, tapping their watches, saying, this is ridiculous. This is taking too long, which is which was borne out by ASO uh, doing what they did and Christian Prudhomme being quite, he, he's the, the director of the of ASO and the Tour de France, that, that, he, that he wanted this all wrapped up before the tour. They were getting impatient and eventually it was wrapped up and it was, you know, basically brushed under the carpet. And I think it's it set a dangerous precedent. I actually spoke about this with John on a, on a podcast that we recorded earlier today where, um, you know, it, it's shown that, that uh, money got from out of this. And if people want to to uh, to Google another case, there's a case of a writer called Angel Vicioso, and he he tested positive for for um, I, I can't actually remember what the drug was, but he 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 basically he has admitted that he can't fight it anymore because he can't afford it, and he's about to get banned, and but he actually has a good case to get off the hook if he had the money to do so, but he doesn't, and so you know. Previously, you would talk about this two-speed cycling where people were clean or not clean. Now we're I think, kind of in an era of two-speed uh, anti-doping or two-speed um, de- decisions, anti-doping decisions, where Froome had the backing of Team Sky with seemingly bottomless pockets and was and managed to get himself off the hook. And uh, I, I do wonder what will happen the next time somebody tests positive for maybe not specifically salbutamol but 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 a drug with a threshold uh, which most of them have their threshold tests mm-hmm. and if you if you go over you're considered to be to be positive and if somebody if somebody trips a positive test they can point at Froome's uh, um precedent now yeah. and say well you know look at that i'm going to use that now in my court case as precedents and i i do wonder whether the rules in general have taken a bit of a a hit and whether we'll start to see cracks in the kind of anti-doping foundations. I, I don't think anti-doping is going to fall apart overnight or what it's going to implode in the morning or anything. But I, I do think that maybe in years to come, we'll look back on this decision about Froome and allowing him to ride and think, you know, hmm, that was the start of something. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it's suffered since then. Well, money's always been a big part of it, and that was one of the things that I remember talking to a lot of different people about. Was you know, they're, they're, of course they're going to let him race. There's billions of dollars involved here, and um, it's it's almost a too big to fail kind of a situation. What they're looking at. Um, do you think s- cycling as a sport is seen in an unfair light uh, in terms of being comparison <laughs> compared to other sports? I mean, we've got American football over here, and these guys, I'm sure, are you know pumped full of everything. But there's no testing. There's nothing like that. But boy, like you said, when I talk to somebody who is you know friends who are asking me if I'm watching the tour, which I respond, duh. But um, but they always ask me about things, and then immediately some sort of a joke about doping comes up, and I'm going, yeah. This 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 sport is seen in an unfair light, in my personal opinion. Um. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I, I think given what, what has happened, well, I, I say what has happened, I, given what has been exposed, I, I think that uh, it's it's probably fair enough that, that people have this reaction because this is, 
this is what the mainstream media latch onto. You know, I, I get really sick and tired of of uh, Irish media, may, you know, mainstream media that don't specifically cover cycling or sport even. Uh, that you know they won't cover the tour, they won't cover the Giro, or you know I mentioned Sam Bennett won three stages of the Tour of Italy. It, mer- it barely made a ripple in Irish media circles, but when Chris Froome tests positive, it's everywhere. Yeah, and uh, that's but that's what so that's what the wider public hear and read and see, and so I you know it's not their fault really that they th- this is all they get and this is the impression of the sport that they have and they don't they don't don't see or, or read any any of the other bits the actual sport bits that are happening and so from that point of view i i don't uh, you know i i kind of think that I've, I've, it's inevitable that that you know joe joe soap on the street is going to ask you about about doping rather than anything else but you know you mentioned american football and, and there's plenty of sports that i think you could point at and say well you know, there there must be, or there there obviously is doping problems, but nobody cares. You know, I think maybe tennis is in that bracket. I'd certainly yeah. put soccer in that bracket as well. And just I I, I do think you're right in that the, the money involved is that is such that there's no there's no appetite, there's no there's no appetite at all to to go after the that side of things. And um, you know, there's all the the, the old kind of metaphor that gets bandied about when when we talk about this is the fox guarding the hen house and you know like imagine fifa starting to ban their star soccer players during the world cup you know that that's what you get in cycling you know that's what we've got with Froome here but it would just never happen in soccer they just wouldn't do that to themselves but the reason that it's happened in cycling is actually nothing to do with the uci or wada even it's actually been police investigations that have led to cycling having to uh, deal with their problems. You know, even going back to the Festina affair in, that happened in 1998 when yeah. the tour started in Ireland 20 years ago this year, that was because of a police investigation. Operation Puerto, which blew up on, on the eve of the 2006 race, that was a police investigation. Armstrong, the fall of Lance Armstrong, that was a federal investigation that eventually led to his downfall. Nothing, Nobody tested positive in any of those things. Festina, Operation Puerto, Lance Armstrong, nobody failed a test. And it was all down to police investigations. And I do think as a sport, cycling is more vulnerable to police investigations uh, simply because, it, you know, races cross borders all the time. There are border checks. You know, the, the, the Tour de France in 1998 went from uh, Ireland to France to Belgium back to France and and every time it does that you know all of the vehicles are subject to police inspection and and you do, you don't necessarily get that in other sports which are you know quite self-contained in stadiums and yeah. and you don't you don't have this traveling circus you have with cycling so just purely that aspect of the sport that's just the way it is has led it to being uh, exposed and vulnerable to police investigations more so than other sports, and it's and it has led to the exposition of its problems. Even though I think the sport itself, by that I mean the UCI, didn't want it, didn't want that. They kicked and screamed against it, and they did not want the Festina affair to sully their sport and their race. And they've been kicking and screaming ever since. And uh, you know, I I I just think that. Um, they yeah they they have they have been forced into this position to to implement harsh anti-doping um systems that other sports haven't had to do simply because 
they've been forced to do it by for, by various police. And I do think cycling is a special case. And I just I can't see it happening for any other sport who will just kind of blissfully go on and 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 it will never get dealt with. But then there's the, the sorry for rambling here. You're <laughs> feel, not at all. No, feel free to jump in. But the the like I do think there's a there's a wider argument to be made that you know why do we care? You know, like Chris Froome took an extra couple of puffs of an asthma medication. You know. So there's an there's an argument that that people make that salbutamol shouldn't even be on the banned list. So then we we're all kind of beholden to this list that WADA have, the World Anti-Doping Agency, of stuff that is banned and stuff that is not. And we're supposed to get morally, morally outraged when somebody tests positive for something that is on the list, whereas people are taking stuff that isn't on the list all the time. Like an example I would give you is caffeine. You know, yeah. we all enjoy a cup of coffee. Most cyclists, it's their it's their one drug that they can take and openly enjoy, and that's fine. You know, we don't have a problem with that. Unless but ca- you're Gianni caffeine Bugno. used to be unless Sorry? you're G- unless you're Gianni Bugno, who, who well, yeah, well remembered. Yeah, oh, so yeah. caffeine used to be banned, and G- Gianni Bugno got got suspended for taking an overdose. An, an overdose. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Basically. Sure, plenty of cyclists have overdosed on coffee, but he got banned <laughs> for going over the the threshold of caffeine that he was allowed. And uh, but shortly after that, it was decided that it, uh, it shouldn't be banned anymore. So they took it off the list. So, you know, there was a, a period there where we were supposed to be morally, you know, outraged by Gianni Bugno. But ne- but now we're not. And, you know, where do you, that that line, you know, it moves constantly. Water are always putting stuff on and taking stuff off the list and reviewing what is and what isn't um, performance enhancing. And there's always new tests and new studies. And that's the way it should be. But, you know, the line is, it's, if we're supposed to base our moral outrage on it, uh, you know, I kind of find it hard to do that. I, 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 you know, if, if, if somebody tests positive for a drug, I think there's an entire, there's a whole backstory to that one guy, you know, some of them. I think you would maybe describe as as uh, assholes, as Armstrong has decided has described himself, and but some of them are nice guys that yeah. just got wrapped up in something that they didn't want to want to take part in, and and got carried away trying to do something t- to the best of their ability, and were pressured into it by guys who were telling you know men, older men, pressuring young kids that this was the way to do it. Now that's not always the case. There are there are you know there are nasty guys who 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 take drugs and and don't care about anyone else but there are a lot of stories that just are kind of heartbreaking when you get to the heart of them and you know people people have ended up committing suicide uh, after getting caught doping i think one of i think whenever you 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 find yourself or if any listeners kind of think that they're becoming too cynical about it and uh, find themselves admonishing all dope, all dopers, and putting them in a box and saying dopers bad, you know, clean riders good. I'd urge you to go and read uh, David Zabriskie's testimony in the recent the the USADA reason decision that came out after Lance Armstrong got taken down by USADA, and it's a really heartbreaking story of a guy who just wanted to ride his bike. And on, you know, I'm sure there are people who look at Zabriskie and think, oh, he's all he's the same as the rest of them, you know. Dirty doper, dirty doper. Yeah. And, you know, if somebody says that, it's you can't, it's undeniable. Like he did dope and that's that's what he did. But if you read the details of the story and actually approach it from a human point of view and imagine yourself being this guy's friend or this guy's brother and thinking, Jesus, like this situation was awful that he was put in. And 
And if and, and imagine what you would do yourself. And again, going back to that army of Twitter uh, mouths that that bleat on constantly, they all think that they are morally invincible and yeah. think that they would never do this and all dopers are bad. But if you know, I think if you really have um, compassion and have the ability to empathize with these guys, that's not the way you would think. And it's never black and white. It never is. It's yeah. not black and white with the drugs themselves, the tests. And, and it's certainly not black and white with the people involved because there's always a story. Well, the trolls, you talk about these guys on, on Twitter, it's, they've never been placed into that situation where somebody looks at them and says, you've strived for this your entire life. Uh, you're genetically not gifted enough to, to be a huge success unless you take this shiny red pill. Now, you want to go back home and be a greeter at Walmart, or do you want to take the shiny red pill and live your dreams? Which would you do? None of these people have ever seen that type of a, type of a situation and, and had to make that decision. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I, I certainly I wouldn't have the confidence that I would be strong enough not to do that. You know, I I uh, I don't know what I would do, you know, yeah. and 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 I'm, thankfully I haven't been put in that situation, you know, not certainly not in the specific situation of a pro cyclist. But in general, in my working yeah. life, I haven't had to make that kind of moral choice. And, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people haven't. And, and it is a is a very um, difficult situation. And, you know, the, the, the kind of one of the paragons of virtue that these guys hold up um, is, is often the, the Irish journalist Paul Kimmage. Now, I don't I don't know Paul well. I've met him a few times. I've spoken to him. I like him, you know, and, and I think I get on well with him. I like to think I get on well with him. And uh, but but he he. He is held up by these guys as like the one, the one journalist who gets it, who gets them and, and who, who fights the good fight. Whereas, you know, he was faced with that situation himself and, and he failed. You know, he did actually take drugs when push came to shove. Yeah. Now, ultimately, he he just he, he changed his mind. And, you know, the, the the moral courage it took to do that and walk away is massive. But ultimately, when he was first faced with it. He, he did he did stick a needle in his arm, you know, and so it's not easy. And, and even the good guys or the guys who turn out to be the good guys like Paul Kimmage um, found it difficult. And it, it is um, it's it's uh, it's a really uh, difficult subject. There's some great books that have been written on it um, on 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 that topic of 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 how the, the road down. You, the, the road that a rider goes down to get to that point, there have been a couple of them. Uh, the one that springs to mind, actually, I read recently was Thomas Decker's uh, oh. biography. It was uh, he, he was a, he was a, a Dutch rider who's yeah. young, still young enough to be riding the Tour de France. I think he's only 32 or 33, but he was like a phenomenon when he was 20, 21, 22. And um, he, he, he wrote a book recently called The Descent. Um, you know, I can't remember what the subtitle is, like my plunge into the depths of whatever, you know, a, a real yeah. a story of of uh, being on the to on the top of the sport and being the next best thing, suddenly plunging into the depths of despair, having tested positive and your whole life being ripped apart and and uh, and really hitting rock bottom. And uh, that that's a real chronicle of how this can happen to a young guy, a young, impressionable teenager really was what he was. And uh, I suppose you have to remember as well how young these guys are when they start off on this path and how impressionable they are. And if if you're a 19 year old and you have a 35 year old telling you what's what in your new job, you listen, yeah. you know, and that 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 
that goes for any job. And um, there's another great book. Um, sorry, it's it's not a book. Actually, going back to Paul Kimmage, one of the best interviews I've ever read was Paul Kimmage's really lengthy interview with Floyd Landis. Um, I actually can't remember. Was it before? It might have been before Armstrong's reasoned decision was handed down, but after Landis blew the whistle. And Armstrong sat down with, or sorry, Armstrong, Kimmage sat down with, yeah. with Landis for, I think it was like 10 hours or something. And wow. Kimmage posted up the full interview verbatim. It, it, it would probably, it would take a, a, you know, a couple of days to read, but it, it, it's, it's a fascinating insight into the path and the journey a rider takes, a man takes, a person takes to get to the point at which he's willing to do this to himself and to say, yes, I am, I'm going to cheat. And, and and not only going to cheat, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to even believe that it's cheating. And uh, that, that interview, again, I'd implore anybody to, who has an interest in this type of thing to go and read it. And, and I do think it changed Paul Kimmage. I, I remember thinking about Paul Kimmage before he did that interview that he put people into boxes, you know, you're a doper and you're, you're just the worst of the yeah. worst and, or you're not. And I think he changed his attitude slightly after he did that interview where he kind of, he, he, he began to see things in shades of gray and that, you know, these are, uh, stories. They're not just a positive test. It, it it's a full life story behind this and um you know i i really think that that's the way you should view it admonish them by all means but take into account everything yeah wow okay that's that's a great perspective okay i'm gonna i'm gonna switch things really quickly here before we okay. get too close to the end i want to you know something maybe a little more positive for for you who are some of your favorite riders to watch that you are just passionate about that are currently uh in, involved in the sport uh, I, uh, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about that for a while. Who do I really <laughs> enjoy watching? I like, um, there's a Belgian writer called Tim Wellens, who, who yeah. I enjoy watching. I think he's got a great attitude. He, he, he's the kind of writer who, who makes a race and isn't uh, willing to just sit in and, you know, ride, ride to Watts and, and, uh, get to the finish with the rest and 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 be happy with that he, he'd rather attack from 10 kilometers out and completely blow up and uh in, in the same mold i guess as dan martin you know he's, he's what's the point in being in a race if you're not going to race yeah. those types of guys um tim wellens is is one of them um i mean i i'm sure it's it's no surprise but i i really like peter sagan yeah. <laughs> i i just think he's he's fantastic he, he's absolute breath of fresh air in the sport um his even just the stupid things he does on youtube and you know the the, the yeah. if anybody's seen him reenacting forrest gump or or greece the oh, scene yeah. from greece where he's singing and just, yeah. just these stupid ads and silly clips that he puts up I, I just think he's he's really he's brilliant for the sport and he is the the way in which he carries himself and and the the way he can win all kinds of different races. You know, he's winning bunch sprints against the fastest of the fast, and yet he's he's he won Paris-Roubaix. And I love that. I love riders who can split themselves into different, slightly different disciplines and 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 still come out on top. Um yeah, I I yeah, Peter Sagan, Tim Wellens, uh, I don't know really. Um anybody you can't stand that drives you crazy? <laughs> 
I've said <laughs> I've said it many times on this show. I have not. I'm. I don't know why he might be the nicest guy in the world, but I've never been an overwhelming fan of uh, Mark Cavendish. Yeah, well, I mean, I can understand that. He, he, he's, uh, he's a, he's a prickly character. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, uh, I, I have to say, I, I, I kind of enjoy Mark Cavendish. I, I think I, I enjoy his, uh, there's a word that gets used in the English soccer press called bounce back ability. I, okay. I, I think I, I love the fact that, you know, he keeps getting written off and he keeps coming back and, and, uh, you know, the, he, he won four stages of the tour a couple of years ago and nobody really expected him to do that. And, and, uh, and it's happening to him again, you know, he's been written off now and, uh, oh, I yeah. mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he comes back and, and wins a stage of this year's race or a couple, but yeah, riders who, who get on my wick, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, um, I've never really taken a shine to Richie Port. I don't know what it is. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, uh, I, I don't know. Do you need a reason? No, <laughs> not, not no, like not these at guys. All. I, I'm I'm not sure what, why. <laughs> I, I think um, I don't know. Is it because he takes himself really seriously, or he just? Um, I don't know. I'm okay. just, I, I'm sorry, Richie. No. <laughs> I just uh, I've just I've never taken a t- taken a shine to him. No, I'm the same way. I mean, I could I might yeah. you know, someday sit down with Mark Cavendish and go, "Wow, I was I was a complete asshole all these years." Uh, you're you're a nice guy. It's just that I don't know the way he mumbles or something like that when he's sp- responding to a journalist just kind of drives me crazy, rubs me wrong. Yeah. So so let's let's do some fun little kind of you know I'm gonna make fun of I'm gonna not make fun I'm gonna use your depth of cycling knowledge and we're gonna go through oh, some kind of rapid fire things here. Okay, no, they aren't trivia questions. Oh. They're just personal opinion things. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. And in no in no case can you ever use the word Merckx or Kelly. Okay. So <laughs> first okay. first one best cyclist ever. <laughs> uh, Bernardino. Bernardino. Wow. Okay. God, that's an interesting choice. Uh, best tour rider. Uh, can I say Bernardino? You can say Bernardino. You can do. Yeah. Um, best classics or one day uh, animated type of a rider you've ever I experienced. I can't say Marks or Kelly. You can't. Um, Fabian Cancellara. Fabian Cancellara. Uh, best team ever. Um, oh, best team ever. My favorite team ever or the sure. one that was? Your, your favorite, yeah. Yeah, my favorite team. I, uh, uh oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> I liked, I, I, I really liked Anse in the late 90s. I, that, you know what? That never would have come into my mind, but that's a great answer. That is a great answer. <laughs> um, now we're getting really, really, uh, cheesy and childish. Uh, best team kit ever. Oh, love you, sir. Okay, good, good, good answer. And um, I think we'll probably round it off with this one: uh, worst team kit ever. Um, Le Groupement. Oh, with the with the little. No, I'm thinking of RMO. Um, what was Le Groupement? Uh, it was really horrible. It was like this. I think the, the base color you'd have to call green, but it was uh, peppered with blue and yellow little <laughs> flicks and. It was really, really awful. Actually, do you know what it reminds me of when I see it? Do you know um, yoga blocks that you can get, which are just <laughs> like a mishmash of sponge, just all mushed together? Yeah. Do, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> it, 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 uh, it, it looked like that, and it was horrible. It was the team that um, oh, yeah. uh, Luke, Le, Luke, Luke LeBlanc, LeBlanc rode for them after he became world champion in 1994, and Robert Miller rode for them. 
and they uh, they eventually went bust halfway through the year because of financial irregularities. It was basically a pyramid scheme, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and they had no money, and and they they went bust. But yeah, Le Groupement was really really horrible. Well, I was going to remember that. I thought, in fact, I, I remember when I was reading about it when I was young, and I thought there, for some reason the word cult popped into my mind, but it wasn't a cult. It was a pyramid scheme. Okay. I thought, and yeah. at, at first I was thinking of the RMO jerseys that Charlie Motte, uh, that team he rode, that kind of had splotches of paint on it or something like that. Too, yeah. So. Yeah. Not yeah. great either. No. So, well, Gillian. Thanks for your time, man. Your perspective is great. The podcast, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan and I always have been, and it's it's fun to listen to you guys and hear the the wealth of knowledge. You guys, you know, me being over here in the States, we don't get to be over and experience it firsthand, and I, I love listening to you guys and, see, and hearing what you guys get to talk about. Is there anything, um, where can, where some of my listeners who might not know what's going on, where they can, where they can find you and read what you say and hear what you say? Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of all the places, I, all the yeah. pies I have fingers in, but I, I am, I'm primarily at Irish Peloton on Twitter. And um, yeah, if you want to email me, my, my email is mail at irishpeloton.com. Uh, I do I do um, write on that website. It's becoming less frequent these days, but from time to time, I, I do write stuff and put it up there. I do write articles from time to time on on that Irish website I mentioned, stickybottle.com. Um, I, I co-host This Week in Cycling History as part of the VeloCast suite of podcasts with with John Galloway. I do a book show on, for VeloCast as well where uh, I, I, um, I interview uh, writers who've just written cycling books. And um, I think the next one I'm due to do, I'm due to sit down and speak to Peter Cossens, who's written a book called Full Gas, which is a kind of a, a an analysis of the history of cycling tactics, which is kind of, it's fascinating. I'm still only halfway through, but it's, it's been a really great read. So that one will be coming up mm-hmm. soon. And a, a new thing, actually, I've, I've been on um, the GCN show. Do yeah. you guys watch that over there? We do. Know. We do. Uh, the, yeah, the Global Cycling Network. So I've been, they've, they wrote me into giving them um, kind of a, f- a funky history stat every day of the Tour de France. So I've been I've been doing that for them as well. In fact, I do believe I saw you in a La Vie Claire jersey on one of those recently. So that's, that's what I was yeah, just... that's true. I might have colored my opinion about what the yeah. best jersey is of all time. It's sitting right in front of me here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have one myself too, and I, I I've yeah. been known to I in the past I've been known to actually wear it on the bike, even though that is kind of one of the you know thou shalt not. Go out. Ah, no, no, that's fine. That's all nonsense. No, you're, you can wear whatever you want. I yeah. wear it all the time. Mine, I wear commuting. There you go. I I wear I'll wear a team just as long as the team doesn't exist anymore. So <laughs> so there we go. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's a good rule. So I got to go find my lug group mount kit or something like that and wear that one <laughs> with pride yeah so well uh once again man thanks for your time i know it's late there i know you've been trying to put kids to sleep and things like that but i, I appreciate you making this happen no, it's been a pleasure. It's been actually, it's been a real pleasure doing a podcast where I haven't had to prepare anything. I'm not staring at a bunch of notes. It's been, it's been great. Thank, thanks so much for taking an interest and thanks for talking to me. So there you have it. One of the men on in the podcasting world who actually knows a, a good deal about the sport and can provide some really good background information. Thanks to Killian for coming on to the podcast. If you have not, I usually don't promote other podcasts, but if you have not 
found out any of those things over at the VeloCast, you should definitely check it out. It is a subscription model, but it is worth your money. And it's it's interesting stuff. And I love I love hearing from those guys and the perspective they provide. They put a lot into it and hopefully you get a lot out of it. So check out those podcasts that they offer over there at VeloCast. Speaking of cycling podcasts, I've had a lot of you guys ask me why we're not doing a daily podcast, daily Tour de France show during the during the Tour de France. My main reason is is I, I listened back to some of the episodes last year, and I just I don't have that kind of material, and I don't have the time or the ability to to book a guest every single day. So you you've got all those other ones that you can get daily information out you know i'm i'm more here to talk about the sport not, rather than give you immediate news and updates on who won each individual stage if you're not finding that out online already you're obviously living in a cave and you aren't listening to podcasts in the first place so no there's not going to be any daily uh, tour de france updates from yours truly but i'm going to probably be able to i've got a lot of guests lined up so hopefully we'll be able to at least provide you with one a week God, as long as we can. So thank you guys for the feedback. Speaking of feedback, keeping it, keep it coming. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever the hell you guys find us at. If you look up Pack Filler, you can find it definitely there. Spotify is a place you can listen to it. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Give us a rating. Tell us what you think. I guess I'll catch you guys next time on the Pack Filler Podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.